Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host Francesco and we are almost at the finish line. We are almost at the end of the season two. It's been a roller coaster. We've been from probably few views at the very beginning of season one to almost 9,000 downloads on this season in less than six months. It's been an amazing roller coaster. So a uh, personal person, thank you to everybody that's been listening, downloading the show, supporting us. Please, please, please continue doing so on all the platform, leave us a review. But today we come back with Sam Stepanian that is uh, an old friend and uh, also um, a, a returning guest from OWASP London and we talk uh, it's a little bit a longer episode but it was so exciting that I decided not to break it into two and considering we're coming towards the end of the season <laughs> we had two specials that were particularly long so I hope you bear with us on discussing this but we're fundamentally discussing going depth on Hackathon OWASP and specifically we we dive in in NetHacker that is one of the attacking tools that some usually and frequently talks about uh, on effectively how to test your own application with this light code and lightweight security tool to test basically anything your application you know your uh, websites uh, even your forms on wordpress and sam is it keeps on adding and adding more and more plugin but i really really uh, wish you you have a look at the open source and always um, website if you haven't there are amazing projects like Netaka and if you want to contribute is open source so please contribute uh, review the code write documentation you don't necessarily need to be a developer to um, contribute to open source I wish you enjoyed this episode this stay safe Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today we have a returning guest that comes from our previous season where we were still called Mentoring Monday and back into the, the now podcast season with Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. So we have Sam Stefanian, an independent cybersecurity consultant. He's super, super focused on AppSec. Um, he has done work around uh, London and especially he's the chapter lead of OWASP London that is effectively the we're going to talk about what's uh, what's uh, OWASP for who doesn't know what OWASP is. Sam, uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about yourself and what you've been doing, what you've been busy doing. Yeah, sure. So my name is Sam Stepanian. I'm an independent application security consultant, mainly advising financial services organizations in London how to secure their applications. I come from a software development background myself, so I'm an ex-developer. Moved into security uh, in 2006, I believe. This was the first year of PCI DSS when I was leading a team of developers. It's actually quite an interesting story. And that team was producing e-commerce websites and PCI DSS standard came out. I read all about it, I think, in the register website. And I came to the um, directors. I gathered a little board meeting and I said, look, 
there's this new standard coming up and uh, we need to do something about application security. There is this thing called OWASP top 10, which is top 10 most critical vulnerabilities, which PCI DSS standard specifically said the code review should be done to make sure that the source code does not contain this top 10 most critical vulnerabilities. Yeah, and that's how it all started. So I shifted into security. I discovered that there is a an OWASP London chapter. Uh, it's actually been running since 2004, but obviously I only found out about it, I think in 2007. And I started attending the events in 2008. Uh, that's back when Dennis Cruz uh, was uh, um, uh, leading it, and uh, it was quite fun because uh, first events were actually in the pub, and I think that <laughs> pub doesn't even exist anymore, <laughs> which is uh, to say about London. Yes, and obviously then after attending events for many, many years, uh, and yeah, myself and uh, Sharif Mansour, who was at the uh, Expedia leading uh, AppSec team there, were uh, basically offered to take over the leadership because the previous leader was uh, moving to a different co- country. So that's our story. So since November 2015, Sharif and I started leading our Splendid chapter, organizing events, and then uh, we attracted another chapter leader, Dr. Greg Frakos, which is another quite famous figure in cybersecurity. However, Greg uh, moved to uh, Emirates, uh, in, uh, to Dubai, because he was offered a uh, very good role there. And yeah, he's currently there being the CISO of the um, Dubai 2020 big exhibition, which was supposed to happen last year, but it was now got postponed until this year because of the coronavirus pandemic. So that's a quick story of how I got involved with OWASP and uh, ended up with uh, this uh, very interesting uh, organization, which of course stands for Open Web Application Security Project. I know a lot of people say, what do you mean web? And I'm like, yes, it's like when, uh, it is originally Open Web Application Security Project because of the OWASP was created 20 years ago. Actually, this year, OWASP will be celebrating its 20th anniversary. I believe the board of directors is preparing some interesting events. But yeah, I think the question still uh, stays. So 20 years on, but we are seeing the same vulnerability in (laughs) applications. And there's no World Wide Web is everywhere. And our mobile apps are using the same uh, HTTP protocol. And every day there are more um, messages of data breaches, hacks, GDPR penalties. It's a never ending battle. I think it's, it's the speed of, of development. So the, the 20 years ago, the speed, the, the leisure that we had on, on putting security in and uh, taking a little bit more time was a little bit bigger. and But on the other side, I think the attention to security was much less. Today, the agenda of security is much more, but we have even less time to look at things. <laughs> I think it's a chicken and an egg. But on this doomsday, loom and gloom kind of scenario, I want to give a little bit more a positive message. So and you've been involved with OWASP for so long, actually. How did you saw uh, effectively security growing and especially in web security with the OWASP top 10, but also the other, like the API security project and all the other surrounding project. And then we, we will touch base on NetTacker that I know you're very, you're very close to. <laughs> of course, of course. And the story. I think uh, there is progress. Of course, it's not uh, doom and gloom. Um, I think uh, in the past few years, uh, a lot of efforts has been done by the industry to understand the issues of application security. I remember many years ago uh, when I would go to like big cybersecurity conference and uh, we would have like a NOAS booth and I would have some really senior people like CISOs of organizations uh, approaching me saying, 
what's OWASP? It's like, I never heard of it. It's like, look, you're in cybersecurity and you don't know what OWASP is. It's like, then no. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, right. We, we'd still have a work to do. Um, same thing, I think with developers, I think more and more developers are aware, but I really want to stress the fact that I think the uh, adoption of application security is quite important uh, by big players in the industry as well. So again, if you look at the big companies such as IBM, Google, and Microsoft, uh, because they all um, have uh, now open source programs and they are adopting OWASP. They are evangelizing a lot of OWASP projects. So again, this is not just OWASP top 10 and they are collaborating. And I think this is uh, really, really good. And I think only um, uh, an hour ago, I actually posted a, a tweet about a very good initiative that uh, Microsoft um, announced yesterday because, uh, you know, the big uh, uh, SolarWinds or SolarGate hack, which uh, happened uh, right last year, uh, Microsoft has actually open sourced the CodeQL queries, which were the queries that they used to analyze, detect, and threat hunt uh, for the um, indicators of compromise and for this threat, and they made it open source. So they shared it with the whole wide world saying, look, everyone can uh, utilize our now uh, our knowledge and uh, we're sharing it with everyone. If if you it, it, you can use this, you can use these techniques and you can use this de detection methodology in your own networks to see if you get hit by the same threat actor. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's that's really interesting to see more open source and more and more scanning an open source project. But then on the diameter side, you have organizations that start doing application security just of recent, and then they get swamped over with millions and millions of vulnerabilities. So, wh where would the what would be your suggestion of, of a, an organization starting from? You know, how how do we start on cybersecurity? Because traditionally they get scared. Right. Yeah, and again, this is an interesting conversation because I think we discussed this before about you know waterfall approach, and then you know people just you know it's a topic close to my heart. <laughs> doing doing security at the very last minute, say okay, let's just do a security test just before we go live into production, and then they discover all these thousands and thousands of vulnerabilities, and they're like, oh my god, what do we let's do? Let's put a firewall and in there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's let's put the firewall. Well, firewall is actually a good uh, thing if if they know what to put there. If they put the web application firewall, at least to mitigate some of the flaws. But what I see happens very frequently is that someone says, "That's okay. We're just gonna go live. We're just gonna accept the risk," and that's where the problem starts because somebody accepted the risk of this thing going into production. Yeah, uh, of course, that is the wrong approach, and we're seeing the same mistakes happening over and over and over again. So. The correct approach, of course, is you, you, it's it's too late, right? Start, starting just before you go go uh, live is is wrong, right? It's like I don't know, trying to fit brake pads on your car just mm -hmm. just before you're going on a long road. And while it's running, and it's like what could oh the car's <laughs> running? What could possibly go wrong, right? So, um, yeah, I think it's the you know the concept of shifting left, right? If you look at the you know the uh, timeline of uh, where things happen and uh, the uh, software usually goes through the cycles of uh, requirements definition, you know, uh, design, architecture, 
um, uh, engineering, uh, coding, uh, implementation, deployment, operations, support. So there's a there's a, the, 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 there's the, the the traditional even if you look at it in a traditional waterfall cycle rather than the incremental you know current agile DevOps DevSecOps style lifecycle. That's what we mean by shifting them. So security needs to be incorporated as early as possible. And the earlier you can start, the more secure you will become, more benefits you will see. And actually you will realize that security is not a blocker, right? In scenario that I described, people do security tests, or penetration tests, whatever, just before going live. And then they see all the vulnerabilities and they treat security as a blocker. Say, oh, security says, no, we're not allowed to go live. And that's the wrong approach. Security is not a blocker. Security is there to actually enable you to move faster. Again, taking the analogy with a car, right? Uh, if, you, if you have good brakes in your car, that will actually allow you to go faster. That's sort of the same, same methodology. So if you, if, you have, uh, no, uh, if you have security features, you know, uh, seat belts, uh, brakes, that would allow you to go faster. Imagine because we was before, if there are no brakes, right, you, you can't really go too fast because you will not be able to stop, right? You'd be scared. <laughs> exactly. But also it's nice that clients right now ask for those security features and the security wisdom belt. And I've seen the shape, for example, of client asking for multi-factored as a standard. So the, we, are, we are improving slowly but surely. This is good, yeah, but still occasionally yeah, we do see, uh, I don't know, so, some of these uh, horror stories stories uh, which do happen occasionally but I, I think overall where we were even if we look at 10 years ago right in the industry where we are now uh, I, I can see improvements I can see improvements but of course let's not forget like that the threat actors are becoming uh, even um, better they're more sophisticated and they you know they, they, they keep finding more and more new ways of uh, getting into the networks, applications, to steal data, or like in, uh, well, a very, very lucrative thing recently was just to hack into your service and install um, crypto mine. a cryptocurrency mine. <laughs> Sorry, but even uh, then Tesla was affected by this and they figured out that the um, cloud service were mining Bitcoin. And it's, and it, and it's not, not always easy to detect because you know, you can you can monitor for command and control for those kind of things. And sometimes they go for, for hidden address, sometimes they don't. And then you have to unpack it HTTPS and it's offloading. And it's actually an interesting topic that we're going to talk maybe in, in the next uh, OWA Summit is for startups specifically, because effectively every company that we have right now, like the Netflix of the case, started as a startup. And in startup, you tend to, you know, go fast and sometimes cut corner. And you don't necessarily have security from day one, especially new startup or digital startup or startup that come from a left field, maybe technology they're more used, but the more marketing, you know, left field startup, they traditionally don't have security embedded in unless there is somebody that has that inside. So have you seen example of that or what will be your recommendation? I have startup? seen quite a few startups and obviously I've run some uh, security audits on some of these startups in my experience as a consultant. Yes, unfortunately, you're, you're right that uh, people just want to move fast. Uh, very frequently, startups would be very focused on creating that uh, MVP, the minimum viable product, uh, to get the investment. Usually that doesn't have any security in it at all or very little security from what I've seen in my experience. And then once it actually moves on to the um, uh, uh, production, uh, it's the fact that the, the lack of security requirements or 
um, not very clear understanding of security requirements because uh, again, we're speaking about startup which has the idea and they're very focused on the functionality. So they say, okay, we have a great idea, let's implement this. And um, the whole focus is on the idea and they, they lose focus on uh, security. This is very, I think, common topic, but there is a solution to that as well, that we have an OWASP again in terms of shifting left, right? So first of all, if everything's agile and people are using agile methodology, uh, OWASP actually has something called security stories. So we have, say, user security stories and we have abuser security stories or attacker security stories. So you can give them as requirements and basically inject them into the backlog of the, of the development team. And for example, again, we talked about multi-factor authentication, right? So there will be a user story would be say, as a user, I don't want my credentials stolen from another website to be used in this system to uh, access uh, my personal data and sensitive data and transactions, right? So that's just an, an example, right? And there's a, a similar ones, which, which are basically attacker stories, which say an, an attacker might use a list of credentials stolen from another website to uh, run a credential stuffing attack versus our application, right? Um, so- And they're off the shelf. They're off the and shelf. And they're off we the shelf. Do. They are all open source. They're all on GitHub. All we have to do is just go clone that repo and then um, just inject it into a developer. So they're very generic, right? But if you don't know where to start, it's there straight away. And uh, the same thing with threat modeling. I know you, you are a very big fan of threat modeling as well. There are lots of lots of great, great resources available on threat modeling. Uh, a couple of them gamified, which are really good. For example, Grant Ongers, who you interviewed recently, uh, a, a, another great guy at OWASP. Um, uh, he has a great talk on using OWASP Cornucopia, which is a physical card game. And obviously now that we are all remote, it's quite difficult to play physical card games, but uh, there is uh, a virtual version of it as well online. And you can just uh, spend your lunch break with your developers playing these cards because obviously it will help developers to understand the threats. What are the possible threats? And the same thing on the further, on the more visual side of thing, we have things like, uh, for example, um, OWASP Thread Dragon, which is a threat modeling diagramming tool, uh, which is available for uh, you to, to download. It works on all platforms. And again, there, there are videos and tutorials available how to use it. And uh, yeah, teams can start basically using it straight away. There's another project which I'm not sure um, uh, many people are aware of. So there's something called OWASP RAT project. So this is all about uh, requirements automation. So it, it will actually help you to uh, collect requirements as well for security. And if you just Google for OWASP and threat modeling, you will find lots of lots of other great projects, including the cloud security threat modeling uh, projects. There's a threat modeling manifesto, which OWASP participates in. Yeah, and there is even threat modeling as a code, which or a threat spec. So this is another interesting project, which I uh, suggest that people look at. So which threat? Uh, I'm a big fan of rapid threat modeling. So the threat modeling, where you do the stories, or where you do uh, a specific increment, or when you do an architectural review. I'm I'm a big fan of threat modeling because I've used it in a lot of cases. But traditionally, uh, I found it more useful when it goes into the day-to-day -day and it becomes part of the DNA or every spring planning 
rather than as a single atomic activity, because I, I noticed that whenever we, we're running an application security program, doing that as an architectural review sometimes is good, but sometimes it gets cut because you know people cut corner. Well, it, it, it's like one minute or two minutes analysis at every sprint or at every retrospective, then it becomes ingrained in the DNA of what the development team do. So what do you think about rapid versus more traditional versus? I, I think rapid is fine. And uh, as you say, the, the important thing here is the change of the culture is basically to introduce um, security into the developer's mind. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think there are many, many tools available to help with that as well. And uh, many developers that I speak with, the thing is they're not really exposed to incidents, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where I, I see a big problem with the InfoSec teams because there is currently a lack of collaboration. And I think DevSecOps um, paradigm is really about collaboration. There is the SecOps and the Ops. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> if we stay as a silo and we keep throwing stuff over the fence, it's just not going to work. But it's all about collaboration. And again, a very simple thing, right? So if InfoSec team would get developers involved, for example, into an incident investigation, and then they would start from the... Uh, Know, looking through the, how the uh, attackers got in, what was affected, and basically maybe at the end of that investigation, they will actually get to the line of code inside source code, which may have been not necessarily a root cause, but maybe a contributed cause in this issue. That will help developers understand how the security team operates. And actually, to be honest, this is another misconception because a lot of people think that developers don't like security people and they don't like doing security. I think this is wrong, right? So the, this whole us versus them mentality that developers versus security, it's wrong, right? So we, 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 we don't want to be animal, enemies. We need to be friends and collaborate with each other. And to be honest, I've never seen a developer who would say, I don't want to learn security. There is no such thing. <laughs> I don't believe such developers exist. And I think this is another great role of, you know, all the well, organizations like Meetup, uh, OWASP doing meetups and, uh, you know, CSA and all, lots of other uh, nonprofits organizing free and open to everyone um, uh, meetups and events uh, where everyone, including developers, can learn security, can actually see vulnerabilities, can understand uh, how organizations can get breached, right? And what can they do uh, proactively to remediate issues and also to prevent them from happening in the first place? No, thank you. And, and I think you touched on a very important point that we... We, we probably hit the drum a lot on uh, DevOps and, uh, you know, having the full control for the full stack. But I think in the SecOps or, or the DevSecOps part of it, we, 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 are, we have focused a lot on the shift lab. So I've seen a relatively good amount of the focus on the code, but then I haven't seen the live and the, and the ops side of the DevSecOps coming into the Dev. SecOps in general. So I've seen incident response to be, as you said, atomically and fundamentally just as a stream of thought and operation and, and monitoring still being the ops side, while the DevOps have brought in effectively infrastructure as a code and effective management of the infrastructure in the whole dev lifecycle. So I think we, we still have a, a way to go, but I still seeing some exactly, shift. but. As I said, there are simple life hacks. Just bring developers into your incident response investigation and do the ex exactly the opposite. Get your security engineers 
to participate in you know uh, development projects and they stand ups right and they project meetings to understand what is driving them and uh, how they work uh, because only by this close collaboration I think we can be mutually ben- beneficial right, to I developers agree. and security. But it's it's just a matter of time, and sometimes yeah. there is no perception. So how do we translate the message, and how to? Yeah. So I think we've done a recently a, a definitely a good job, and also done an amazing job both from a developer perspective, but more even for the executive perspective that that are are having that more tolerance towards development. But uh, traditionally, cybersecurity executives, especially here in Europe, I haven't seen them very close to the development world. Rather more in the risk and compliance governance operations. So development is still something that is a little bit of a gray area. And I've seen a lot of reaction of, for example, you know, fix high vulnerability with a specific period of time and then break the pipeline. And it doesn't generally speaking work because it's almost impossible to execute on the back of that messaging. So I think one thing that I would say is we need to do a better work on bringing the executive along because then, as you said, no developer will want to say, I don't like security. I don't want to do my job right. <laughs> I don't think I've, I've ever found one developer that say no. Exactly. And exactly. So uh, no, we have uh, Jim Manico, who is uh, another very famous uh, OWASP guy. Uh, he runs a lot of again security trainings and webinars. And uh, I saw him a few years ago, I think that was after the Equifax breach when he tweeted an interesting tweet. You know, this is all thing about security is everyone's responsibility. But basically he said one thing, say very important thing said, if you are a developer, you are a security engineer, right? Because your code is the actual firewall to the company, right? You <laughs> inadvertently, right? if you want it, if you don't want it, every single line of code that you write uh, right, is actually the firewall. Right, the, you you developers are security people, and obviously, if they if, if they know how to do security right, then uh, that's what we're uh, trying to achieve. But again, a lot of people don't really know how to start or where to start, and this is where I think OWASP is great because OWASP should be like the first website developers should turn to to find the other resources. But OWASP is a great resource to start in any security related topic with especially with regards to of course uh, web applications and mobile applications so say if you are at a startup and you want to develop a web-based application or a mobile application so how do you find out how to secure it uh, what standards to use what guidelines to use how to develop it securely how to test it securely right if you come to OWASP right a nonprofit will produce all these materials for you for free so Again, you can check out things like uh, application security verification standard. Of course, everyone knows about OWASP top 10 vulnerabilities, but for developers, there is no much value in this. For developers, tools like ASVS and also tools like top 10 proactive controls helps much better. There's, of course, also the uh, security guide. There's also secure testing guide. There's also mobile security testing guide and mobile application security verification project for clouds. Of course, Francesco, I know you you are the cloud security guy. We have lots of standards related to the uh, cloud native security, Docker security. Um, it's all available. So if you don't know where to start, just uh, check out OWASP website or just Google for the topic you're interested in and add OWASP keyword. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure you will find the project which is related to that. You say OWASP cloud security, OWASP mobile app security, or OWASP threat modeling, 
OWASP uh, security stories, right? Security requirements, DevSecOps. There are documents, standards, tools, projects available for everyone. And tools is another very important thing, right? So OWASP as a community uh, makes open source tools to test your security, right? So of course, uh, OWASP Zap is probably the most famous tool to uh, pen test your application for, for free. You can build it into your um, software development lifecycle, into your pipeline. And uh, every time you build and deploy your web application, you can run a test on it straight away, right? Uh, there are lots of other tools available for you, including you know, things like dependency checker and... Uh, NetHacker, uh, maybe. <laughs> NetHacker is another one. So yeah, we're going to talk about NetHacker. Um, we, uh, lots of lots of tools available for free. It's a good place to start. For managers as well, right? So we talked about uh, senior exactly. management buy-in. Very important thing for the management is visibility, right? And again, OWASP can help you there as well. We have a free tool called uh, Defect Dojo, which is basically a unified vulnerability dashboard that's a single pane of glass uh, um, uh, application, which basically uh, allows you to uh, collect vulnerabilities from various tools that you have running. And that includes both open source and commercial ones and uh, see them all on one page, on one dashboard. So you can prioritize your high severity, your medium severity. You can see uh, them all on the timeline. It also has a search, which I think is great. So you can actually go and Google. You can go and say, okay, I have tool A, tool B, tool C. I don't know, maybe I have 20 different tools which all gather different vulnerabilities and they feed this into my vulnerability management system. But you can go and search and say, okay, XSS, right? Cross-site scripting. And you will see all vulnerabilities found by all the tools over a period of time with cross-site scripting. Yeah, I think uh, it's great. That ability to basically search your own vulnerabilities, again, look at the endpoints. You can just hover over the findings and you can see which websites within the your assets, right? The websites and mobile apps that you produce, actually that vulnerability was discovered. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. Yeah, no, I think that that helps a lot in the vulnerability management. Of course, I am biased because I took that and and, and I put steroids on it <laughs> as part of the vulnerability management. But I think that's that's one of the key elements. So doing vulnerability management, gathering all the elements we actually put with Security Phoenix, the impact we overlay a lot of risk, and we divide this in lenses. So we took these in steroids. So you 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 bang the drums on the right drums. But I want to touch on the tool because. Effectively, if you don't know, as you rightfully say, if you don't know where to start, then you have a collection of tools that we also integrate with, with Security Phoenix, 
So it's it's we recognize that as a startup, especially as a startup world, you traditionally don't have the money to go out and buy effectively the refined tool that are out there. So, but as a good start, as you said, if you want to pen test your application, you can use Zap, you can use NetTacket to start testing your infrastructure, and maybe you can use Prowler to test your cloud. And there are tons of tools. And I, I publish, I keep on updating my Git of of my I call it open source arsenal. Uh, in, yes, in... yes, I've seen it on your blog, which is really great, right? So there's a collection of resources which can help people. To go, uh, as you it's, say, it's... It, the arsenal of tools which they can use straight away, right? So exactly. they don't have to go and look for budget and go buy expensive tools. And even if you're a small startup with a small budget, uh, this is all available to you. Yeah, it's it's like it's a one-stop shop. And if you browse it, yeah. there are tons of tools. Uh, so TLDR, uh, AppSec, and there are probably tons of blogs on where to start on AppSec or just go on OWASP. <laughs> you find them all. There. But I found that of recent, so with, with the new refresh of the website of OWASP, I think there's been a lot more clarity. But traditionally, there have been so many projects that you get lost. <laughs> I personally, when I started, I, get, I got lost. Aside from the top 10 that are very well publicized, there are a lot of like really good projects, but they're kind of hidden. So there are the most streamlined ones. And I think uh, the cheat sheet, uh, for example, another great project to, to take into the account. And uh, yeah, sometimes you get lost. And I like what you guys do at OWASP or, or more in, in the conference where, you know, there is that refresher of, by the way, there are this tool, this tool, this tool. <laughs> I think it's important because they refresh that messaging. That's right. Then you know, every time we have OWASP London Meetup, I always try to present uh, an update on the existing tools, if there are new versions or any new projects. And as you know, Avanda Neverma, uh, who is one of the directors on OWASP board of directors and uh, chapter leader at OWASP Bangalore, she now runs a project called uh, OWASP Spotlight Project, which is basically 10-minute YouTube videos where she just basically says, you've got 10 minutes time, tell us everything that people can uh, want to know about this project, right? And uh, I think it's great because uh, you, you you could be eating your lunch and watching this video and you, you learn about another cool OWASP project. You eat upsec. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Or as Grant had this, uh, his uh, coffee meetup. So basically, you meet for coffee and while you're drinking your coffee, you can uh, watch a video and uh, learn more about uh, cool OWASP projects. Uh, speaking yeah. of, uh, you know, meetups, by the way, we do have an OWASP London meetup coming up uh, next week on Thursday, by the way. Nice. So if anyone listening can uh, can join us. Uh, and of course, if you miss any of, the, of our events, everything is recorded and available on YouTube. And not only this event, but I remember you you going around and recording the other event and streaming. So I love I love that fact to make exactly even source. back then, right? And even simple life hacks, right? And people are like, oh, how do I live stream my real life meetup? What do I do? I need special equipment. I need camera. I need microsoft I said, no, 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 no. You can start. Very simple. You just need a, a mobile phone, your own smartphone, and you just need a tripod. That's it. And then you just I don't know. You, you go uh, choose a platform where you can go live. You can have uh, choices on uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, whatever uh, platform you want these days. Uh, I think almost all platforms allow you to go live, and you just touch the button saying "Go live," and that's it, right? Yes, maybe sound is not going to be that great if you're in the room, but 
we've been doing this since 2016, right? And uh, I think from January 2016, we, we just used uh, phones to record and then uh, we added the camera to, to it as well. It, it, it works, right? People can still watch it. And uh, people who know me probably know that I bring uh, my selfie stick with me. And I actually recorded and live streamed several talks which were not uh, recorded by the conference, right? For example, I uh, live streamed a DevSecOps London uh, meetup with Chris Wasopel. Again, he delivered a very good talk on um, DevSecOps. And also, even at the last um, uh, big OWASP AppSec conference in Amsterdam, there were some talks which were not recorded, including OWASP API security project. Um, and yeah, I just thought, hang on a minute. If there's no one is recorded, I'm going to live stream it. So I just put my phone on the selfie stick, touch that record button, go live. That's it. It's start recording and live streaming. And after the stream is finished, it's there. And then it is saved on our Facebook page and on our YouTube channel. And people can go and watch it. And uh, um, recently, people were thanking me for the OWASP API security recording and saying, why is quality so low? It's like, well, because I'm uh, live streaming on a very busy <laughs> um, Wi-Fi live uh, from, from a mobile phone sat on the third row of the audience uh, using a selfie well, stick. At least, <laughs> you know, at, at least it's there. At least the quality, uh, it's quality exactly. sometimes. It's, it's not important, but it's, it's participation. is Because not everybody can go to a conference and a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the talk, even... I mean, if we have IC Square, we have uh, Asaka, we have CSA... They're all fundamentally based in London because we're all based in there. And sometimes if you are in a more rural area, especially in development world, you don't have access to this. So massive thanks that you, Eddie, Eddie is another, is another yep. developer that I work a lot with. And we actually start a, a series of work with developer versus security. So we talk about security in the two worlds. So the, the new episode actually is going to talk about hackathons versus CTF and, you know, trying to trying to involve in the community and trying to bridge also security because the other challenge I found is we tend to talk about security with security people. <laughs> yes, yes. We need to start talking about security with... Non-security non people, and it's challenging. And I've and I've gone and talked about security with completely random conference, and sometimes it's a success. Sometimes you just fee- see people that look at you as like, "Who the heck are you?" <laughs> and it's fine; it's a hit and miss. But at least in that way, you can kind of evangelize security in different audience. And even if you spark the presence or the the, the idea on one person, I think is important. And yeah, mix, mix and matching, I think, is important and encouraging developer into more of getting more involved i think is important and you guys are the ones probably the best so thank you sir very true and i think it actually really works great especially for developers right because again i remember a few years ago when we had application security conference in london and there was one developer guy and he said oh uh, are you from all aspects i said yes so can i ask you a question i said sure uh, shoot and he said i attended so many talks and they all focused on xss and it's like why, why everyone in OWASP is so obsessed about cross-site scripting? It's, it's not really an important vulnerability. Is it? It's just like uh, worst thing that can happen. Some bad guys just put like an alert box on my website. And I'm like, <laughs> we're actually not doing a good job because we should be really explaining this a little bit better. So this is where I think the value is actually to have things like deep dives or, you know, this anatomy of a hack kind of presentation to which you can invite developers to say, look, this is anatomy of a hack. This is how the bad guys can actually hack websites. 
hack mobile applications. This is the demonstration. I think they will. If some people go and say, oh, you should do this and you should do this, people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, are they really paying attention? But if you actually show them the actual hack as it happens, I think that it has a great, great value. Yeah, no, and I agree. I agree. And uh, I think showing the aha moment of a developer seeing uh, an XSS instead of just, just a POC breaking their own application and encouraging developers to in, in CTF and Hackathon to actually break each other's application, not in live, <laughs> I think is important. But on the subject of breaking, I know you got uh, kind of breaking into one of the tools uh, some time ago, NetTucker. Tell us the story about NetTucker and how you got involved. Because it's Oh, a yes. Run. Yeah, Net- NetTucker is, uh, is an interesting story, right? Because uh, I'm an application security guy, right? So I, I secure applications. And there's, of course, a network security team. And obviously, they deal with securing infrastructure and service, uh, which usually, of course, I know about it. But that's not what I'm focused at, really. And uh, with NetTucker, it's a funny story because I, in 2017, I saw that there is a new project called NetTucker, which kind of appeared on the OWASP project list. I went to GitHub, I looked at it, and I'm like, ah, let me see if I can figure out what it does. I couldn't understand what that is because there were a lot of references to IoT. And I'm like, this is some sort of IoT scanner. I don't really understand it works. I, I tried to run it. It says, well, it uses Python. I said, okay, I will just fire it up in Python. The tool, when I launched it, um, spit it out like pages and pages of uh, help and you, uh, how to use it. And I'm like, I'm not going to th- look through all this stuff. <laughs> so I closed <laughs> I it and it. I said, I'm never going to look at it again. And uh, yeah, I was wrong because in 2018, uh, one day I received the um, a email message from uh, the project leaders. And they're saying, oh, look, guys, we, uh, we're supposed to come to uh, Black Hat Europe in London and present our tool at the Arsenal track. But uh, there are some issues with our travel. We need a visa to UK and uh, looks like it's going to be delayed. Uh, can you guys actually go and uh, present this tool? And I'm like, hang on a second, but uh, this is actually tomorrow, right? And I said, don't worry. <laughs> Well, sure, it was myself and Greg Prakas. So we got on a Zoom call, which was, I think, two and a half hour Zoom call with project leaders. And they actually demoed the tool to us and said, okay, this is what it is. And, and we're like, oh my God, this this is such a great tool. And how come we never knew about it? And yeah, we presented it at uh, Black Hat Europe. And uh, unbelievably, it was absolutely huge crowd of pen testers and security people, just general Black Hat uh, attendees which gathered around our booth uh, watching the demo so uh, and then we said okay this this looks good let's repeat it the year after we did it the year after even bigger crowd gathered so we said okay this this a uh, very unusual because typically OWASP of course uh, when people think about OWASP they think about uh, application security right network security yeah not 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 probably the topic and then suddenly when this topic appeared and actually it resonated with a lot of pen testers and not just pen testers with uh, um, a a lot of information security managers because they all have this challenge, right? How how do they scan the network and find out what's running on the network? How do they scan for vulnerabilities at scale, right? If you have a tool, I don't know, even OWASP Zap is an example of a tool, right? It can scan one website for many vulnerabilities and uh, that is its focus. 
but yeah, right. it, it, it does not go and scan your entire network or lots of your, all your subdomains and all your assets to give you any information. You, you need to know what to scan. You need to be uh, targeted at one specific thing. Um, and uh, NetHacker can kind of answer this. And uh, once you realize its usefulness to organizations, uh, and of course, a lot of it is still web because I think number one thing that most people still use NetHacker is to find out what... Uh, service on the network are actually running some web services on port 80 and 443 because uh, um, asset management and inventory is still number one problem in uh, information security. People just don't know what they have. And when something that they don't know what they actually have gets hacked, right? It's a good example with Equifax. It causes problems. Yeah, but I, I agree. And it's a funny story. And, and I think we started realizing, even, even I started realizing that we need to bring, uh, if we focus just on application security, then we just cover a part of the problem, enumeration and uh, asset management and inventory management is actually a very important part. And that we, that's why we brought exactly. NetHacker back into, into the pipeline of Security Phoenix, because we think it, it's important exactly. to have that holistic view. And yeah, no, I, I and absolutely exactly, and that's why this tool is great. Of course, it's still a very sort of uh, new and young tool. It's still in development, and uh, I think we uh, touched before when I spoke about it about the very important role of um, students, right? So uh, NetHacker is one of the few OWASP projects which benefited highly from a program which uh, or initiative run by Google called GSOC or Google Summer of Code. And basically, this is an initiative where Google will actually, it's a paying internship. So Google will pay students to spend their summer break to work on an open source project of their choice. And the students have to apply and they have to say, well, which project they want to work on, what they want to improve, what is their plan, what they're going to do at the beginning, what they're going to do during the summer, and what is going to be the actual uh, sort of report part of it, what they would like to achieve. And these applications get reviewed and then uh, open source organizations. So it's not just OWASP, there are a lot of open source organizations participating. They get these uh, student slots allocated. And we were actually quite lucky with uh, OWASP NetHacker because we had slots allocated to us and there's quite a few students who worked on this project and helped us improve it a lot. I hope that this will continue. But again, for people who don't, yeah, yeah, but for people who don't know that this, uh, this, this is a great initiative. And see, Google has been collaborating with uh, OWASP and many other organizations like uh, Mozilla or Apache and many others where um, it brings students and actually uh, lets students uh, to uh, be hands-on and spend their summers proactively, uh, contribute to open source, improve security for everyone as well, and improve open source for everyone, uh, and also get paid for it. Yeah, and that's great. And also it's great for networking because then you get to know other developer, either senior or junior. Yeah. And that, that's the whole community aspect of open source that I love as well, that if you start contributing on a project, you don't need an internship. You start contributing on a project, you start learning about you know how to commit, how to branch out, how to put, how to do software development in a mature way. And all of a sudden, you know, one person or another person that might be contributing to an open source project that might be used on another thing. And then all of a sudden you get an interview with either Facebook or Google and you never know. So that's 
Exactly, exactly. And you'll say, look, these are all the projects that I contributed to. And this is what, what I learned. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm uh, really happy that I came across NetHacker. Of course, the uh, team invited me to become a co-leader uh, as well. And I've been presenting it and promoting it uh, since then. And of course, uh, working on the project as well. Of course, uh, spare time allowing, as you know, everyone at OWASP is a volunteer and we are donating our spare time and our family time. You know, night time. <laughs> night time as well. And, and, and I think you, you, you were the person who spotted that I, I pushed the commit to Nataka yes. night time a few nights ago. So some of you do, this was very useful. So that was the addition of the um, Ninja Forms uh, plugin detection, which was a, one of the most uh, recent uh, WordPress plugins, which had a, a vulnerability, which got patched. So. And I like that rapidity and, and the, the amount of feature that, that you specifically push, but also on following a few other projects and the amount of feature that get pushed is amazing considering they are free and open source contributions. So, yeah, so then there that, is the... Th- there will be more features coming, right? Because uh, uh, I, I plan to improve NetHacker uh, a lot uh, because NetHacker has uh, one big problem and the big problem is that it was actually developed by cybersecurity students, not by computer science students, but by cybersecurity students and pen testers. So the quality of code is actually not that great. We actually Because cybersecurity from- people are not security engineers. <laughs> And well, they're, engineers. they're not software engineers, right? They're like, yeah, we can script a little bit and say, oh, it does what it's supposed to do. Let's let's use it. And it's great. But yeah, we need to improve it and, of course, add more features and re-engineer it a lot as well because there's a lot of copy-paste programming in it and uh, that needs to be improved. So yeah, it's uh, open source and open for collaboration. So if you want to check it out, definitely do. Uh, NetHacker is a very useful tool for everyone to scan assets on their network, to find out all the assets. Of course, now with the proliferation of the cloud, people will have a problem of shadow IT when the developers will spin up lots of services and microservices and subdomain. And if you're responsible for security of your organization, do you actually know all the web services that you have, all the web service that you have, you know, all the open ports that you have, or I don't know, do you know uh, how many servers are running WordPress? Do you know uh, how many servers have you know uh, open ports and I don't know SSH, FTP, uh, and of course another interesting things with NetHacker you can find not just vulnerabilities you can also do brute forcing, and I recently had a very good um, engagement uh, involving NetHacker. Uh, because uh, I scanned a network containing several thousands of servers and I found out uh, uh, quite a few of them were using default credentials like admin admin or admin password and people had no idea about these devices on the network. And to be fair, a couple of them were actually uh, either webcams or, you know, one of the, you know, this video conferencing kit that people would usually have in the meeting rooms connected to the networks, but they have no idea that they still have these weak credentials and someone can actually break into them and launch an attack, right? IoT and, is not considered as a service, exactly. but we yeah. should because yeah. it's connected in the same bloody network. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And of course, another very important task that uh, NetHacker solves is once you find out what is actually running on the network, it has a web UI, which has a search engine, so it's like Google, or uh, I think probably uh, if I draw a comparison, probably a showdown. So it's like a showdown for your internal network where you can go and basically find out what do you have, how many, I don't know, 
servers running Apache you have, how many IS servers you have, how many servers running PHP, what, what ports they're running, how many servers with expired SSL certificates you have, which is another big problem because people just uh, usually look after the externally facing stuff, but people don't know about uh, the internal uh, servers um, running with expired SSL sets because the person who installed that set is probably not in the company and, and it's not it. registered anywhere in a, in a company um, CMDB or uh, any other asset management system. So um, th these kind of challenges, if your organization has, you can solve it with a free and open source tool called Nataka, which is a tiny you know, download in seconds or spin it up in a Docker container and there you go, you will start seeing benefits straight away. And another great benefit that the reports that it produces, you can ask it to produce reports in CSV format, which is great. That means you can load them in Excel spreadsheet. This I know that very well. <laughs> manager's dream come true, right? They're basically the same people, just give me spreadsheets. Here is a spreadsheet of all the web service uh, in your organization organization and you can go and filter it by well, yeah, Apache, IS, I don't know, service running uh, PHP, out of date versions of Apache, um, uh, and it's all in a spreadsheet. And we might or might not be in developing the JSON response of that and an API for that. <laughs> but we, you all see it about in a few, in few months. <laughs> Of course, of course, uh, Francesca, if you want to contribute, uh, more than welcome. Yes, of course, the uh, JSON and uh, HTML reports are also available. Another cool thing that Netaka does, it uh, uh, draws uh, graphs as well, which is a quite a nice visual representation of uh, your network as well and the problems that you have in the network. So if you go and scan, well, I recently ran the scan for a company which didn't even know that they have hundreds and hundreds of uh, servers running a vulnerable version of WordPress in the network <laughs> internally. <laughs> and uh, when I run the tool and they saw the graph because there's like lots and lots of little arrows pointing at um, uh, WordPress servers. And so we had no idea we're actually using this software. I'm like, look, <laughs> uh, this is what we We found out about this and we're using this tool within minutes. Interesting. <laughs> and it's free and open source. So just download it, run on your network if you're authorized and, you know, exactly. discover interesting exactly. things. Again, it's not there to replace big commercial tools, but if you don't have the budget, or if you don't know which tools, you know, usually people have to go through things, you know, RFPs, uh, proofs of concept, vendor selection, budgeting, right? And of course, there will be lots of vendors knocking on the door saying, buy our tool, buy our tool and say, okay, well, can we actually use something free and open source? Yes, you can. And in, in, in the back of, of effectively going, circling back on, on startup land, you can do. But then the other, the other challenge is doing it right when you had to deploy it in every network because if you toggled off, well, it could be a good test for firewalls as well or access control list in, in the cloud. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for the contribution. And we, we, we almost run at the, the end of time, but we have a tradition to leave aside from the beautiful work that you've done on NetHacker and the beautiful explanation of all the open source uh, project that I was doing and your contribution. But leave us with a positive message on anything that you want. Usually that's that's the that's the trick of uh, cybersecurity. You, you can choose whatever you want, but as long as it's a positive message. Yeah, I think um, a great positive story is uh, get your developers involved in security. Get them to go to security meetups, events, and conferences because they would learn a lot. And of course, one of the big positive stories that I've seen is developers who had no idea about security whatsoever. They started coming to events and uh, 
then they became a uh, really involved, started learning a lot, became a security champion with their company, and then grew out to become um, the, the application security engineers, uh, nice. uh, securing the company. And I think this is great. Nice and warm story. And we need more dev that they grow in that space and the other way around, you know, that security people don't, don't necessarily have the best coders. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but anyway, Sam, thank you so much for all your contribution and for coming on this show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if you guys don't know where to find Sam, Sam, uh, where, where they can find you? Uh, you, you can find me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is at SecureStep9. Uh, and you can just um, uh, search for my name on OWASP website to uh, email me. I'm also on LinkedIn. Quite easy to get in touch with me. Or you can just email sam.stepanian at OWASP.org. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And please do secure coding, guys. It's free and it's available. And if you don't know where to go, OWASP is there for you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Francesco. Thank you for having me. Thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 